But that said, we are back in our preaching series entitled Divine Encounters. What can happen in a moment with God? And just to set it up for you for a moment before we look at today's divine encounter from Scripture, as Christians, uh, we have a personal relationship with God. So because of that, we are to expect personal encounters with God. You see, Christianity is, is primarily relationship rather than religion. So, so encounters with God as part of our daily life, that is what we are to expect and seek out. Because God is a relational God. And through the blood of Jesus, we can enter the Holy of Holies. We can meet with the Lord face to face. We can know true intimacy with our heavenly Father. And again, I'll say this, you know, life would be boring. Normal life would be boring if we had no interactions, encounters with other human beings. As a Christian, if we are not encountering the Lord in some way, then, then something is missing. Something is missing from our, from our relationship with God, from our, from our calling ourselves as a Christian. It's all very well to say we, we know about Jesus. We, we know about Scripture. We know about the Lord. But we want to encounter him. We want to meet with him. And again, as I've said since we began this series, I'm going on a journey with you on this. Have I had encounters with the living God? Yes, I have. But there's so much more. I'm pressing in for so much more to encounter the Lord, both, both in, the, in, in the moments, the special moments when God encounters us, and in the, in the ordinary, in the everyday, in the seemingly mundane. So what we're doing is we are looking at different examples of different individuals in Scripture who had their lives transformed by an encounter with God. So far, we've looked at Moses and the burning bush. Two weeks ago, we looked at Gideon at the wine press. And today, we're going to look at Isaiah in the throne room. So if you've got a Bible, you might want to turn to Isaiah chapter 6. We're going to read from verses 1 to 9, or it will come up on the screen. In the year that King Uzziah died, I, that's Isaiah, saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook. And the temple was filled with the smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. 
Your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Who shall I send? And who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. He said, Go and tell this people. So I want to look at this divine encounter that Isaiah has with the Lord God in the throne room. The first thing I want to pick out is this. When it comes to divine encounters, they so often happen in a place of grief, in pain, and in suffering. You see, generally speaking, the context in Scripture, and I would argue even in our lives, is the context for God encounters is not the mountaintop. It is so often the valley. In other words, you don't have to be on a spiritual high to encounter God. You see, so often we disqualify ourselves from having time with God, from encountering the Lord, from, from learning more, from having a revelation. We disqualify ourselves because, well, I feel rock bottom. I'm struggling with this issue in my life. I'm struggling with grief. Life is tough. Life is painful. So we tend to disqualify ourselves from encounters with God, when in fact, I think you can argue from Scripture, and I would argue from my own life, that those times are when you are more likely to encounter God than when everything is going well. Remember Moses we looked at. He spent 40 years in the wilderness. His heart was filled with disappointment. He thought he had missed God's call on his life. He was 80 years old. And then he encounters the Lord at the burning bush. God reveals himself to him as the great I am. And Moses is commissioned to lead the Israelites out of Egypt. Now, you might look at the story of Isaiah that we've just read. And you think, hold on. Isn't Isaiah on a high? Isn't everything going well for Isaiah? He says he sees the Lord high and lifted up. Isn't that the, the pinnacle of, of spiritual experience? You might think, well, what's the most incredible God encounter in all of Scripture? Well, isn't that Isaiah? Well, maybe. But what comes before? Verse 1. In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. In other words, this encounter begins in a place of grief and mourning. Now, we need to do a little bit of background here. We need to pull kind of the, the curtain back a bit and, and find a little bit of background about what's going on here. So King Uzziah became king at 16 years old, and he reigned for 52 years. And in general, King Uzziah was a good king. 2 Chronicles 26 and verse 5 says this of King Uzziah. He sought God during the days of Zechariah, who instructed him in the fear of God. As long as he sought the Lord, God gave him success. So Uzziah sought the Lord and he prospered. His fame spread. He was powerful. Things were good in general over the reign of King Uzziah. But as so often with Men and women who find success and do well in the eyes of the Lord, they struggle to steward that success. So let's read a few verses on. 2 Chronicles 26, 
verses 16 to 21. This is what happens to King Uzziah. But after Uzziah became powerful, his pride led to his downfall. He was unfaithful to the Lord his God. He entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. Isaiah, the priest, with 80 other courageous priests of the Lord, followed him in. They confronted King Uzziah and said, look, it's not right for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord. That is for the priests. That's for the descendants of Aaron, who have been consecrated to burn incense. Please leave the sanctuary, for you have been unfaithful, and you will not be honored by the Lord your God. Uzziah who had a censer in his hand already to burn incense, became angry. While he was raging, all the priests in their presence before the incense altar in the Lord's temple, leprosy broke out on his forehead. When Uzziah, the chief priest, and all the other priests looked at him, they saw that he had leprosy on his forehead. So they hurried out. Indeed, he himself was eager to leave because the Lord had afflicted him. King Uzziah had leprosy until the day he died. He lived in a separate house, leprous and banned from the temple of the Lord. Jotham, his son, had charge of the palace and governed the people of the land. You say, Mark, what's just happened there? Well, King Uzziah became full of pride and he transgressed a law in Israel. And the law in Israel was that no king should operate as a priest. You see, in the Old Testament, there were very specific roles of prophet, priest, and king. And those roles were to be kept separate until Jesus came. Because Jesus is our perfect prophet, priest, and king. But the Old Testament told us that that no one was to fulfill two roles. But Uzziah was full of pride. He thought that everything he touched was turning to gold. Everything he touched went and was successful. He took on this Messiah complex and he stepped into a realm that he shouldn't have. He did something that was against God's law. And what had happened was Uzziah had taken his eyes off God. And the people had taken their eyes off God because of the prosperity and the blessing that was coming their way. You see, the people had their eyes on Uzziah, and Uzziah had his eyes on himself. Uzziah thought it was all down to himself, and the people thought it was all down to King Uzziah. So in that context, everything's going well, everything is successful. The people think it's the king. The king thinks it's himself, all of his decisions, all of him. It's him, it's him, it's him. And then King Uzziah died. He has leprosy and he dies. You have to understand, he he had ruled for 52 years. So grief and loss and disorientation and disappointment sweeps across the land. This is the context which God meets with Isaiah. In this context, disappointment, everything gone wrong, disorientation, ah, That's when God meets with Isaiah. Let me tell you, if you are feeling anything like that, if you are feeling disappointed, if you are feeling disorientated, if you are struggling with grief, then God is more likely to meet 
with you today. Be ready, be expectant that God will meet with you. That's the first thing I want to point out. The second thing is this. Something old needs to die for something new to be born. If we're really honest with ourselves, we can get very comfortable in life, can't we? Even as Christians, we can get very comfortable. I wonder, is there something within you that really needs to die? Sometimes when the outward comes crashing down, that is when we meet with God. For Isaiah, everything had come crashing down. Like I've just said, there was grief, loss, disorientation, uncertainty. There was a personal crisis. There was a national crisis. And into this context, God met with Isaiah. You see, something old had to die for something new to happen. And just one little aside here, one little aside. You see, you can see this historically, and you can see this in Scripture. God blesses a man or a woman for a particular moment in history, for a particular time. And it's wonderful, and, 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 the, and the movement takes place. But, but what happens is, God is a God who is the God of the new things. God is a God who never stops. God is a God who, who keeps moving and pushing and moving and pushing. The problem is, so often, we make the mistake of worshipping what God did in the past, of what God did in a bygone era, and we haven't caught up with the fact that God is still moving, and God is still doing new things. And you see, we can fail to, to look and to move with where God is moving. God is always at work. God is always moving. We, we often don't see it. God is always at work. But to do the new things, sometimes the old things have to die. We have to leave the old behind us and press on with the new. In this context, the old had to die so that Isaiah could encounter God in a new way. And Isaiah gets one of the most incredible encounters in the whole of Scripture. I mean, just the, the word, he saw the Lord high and lifted up. The train of the road filled the temple. There was smoke. There was fire. There were celestial beings. And John tells us, the, the Apostle John tells us in John chapter 12 that, that Isaiah saw Jesus sitting on the throne. That, that it was Jesus sitting on the throne. So Isaiah it, it saw Jesus. He wasn't... Someone of the new covenant. And yet he saw Jesus. And, and, and I want you to just again take this on board. What, what happens here? Because you see, Isaiah goes from grief, disorientation, disappointment, don't know what is going on, split second, and he meets Jesus. He's with Jesus in the Holy of Holies. He's there with Jesus. The, the old has gone the new is here in a split second do you see what god can do in a, in a moment do you see what he can do don't give up hope whatever is going on in your life wherever you are don't give up hope it just takes a moment it takes a moment and everything changes everything changes 
The old has to die for, for the new, for the revelation of Jesus, for the wonder of what God has for you going forward. Third thing I want to point out and, and, and show you from the verses we've read, when it comes to divine encounters, they are to bring a new revelation of Jesus. I'm not sure what Isaiah truly understood when he saw Jesus on the throne. But if anyone in the Old Testament understood anything, it was Isaiah. Because if you read the rest of the book of Isaiah, you come to Isaiah 52 and Isaiah 53. Prophecies of the suffering servant. Prophecies of what Jesus would accomplish on the cross. So something was implanted in Isaiah's heart. Something was implanted about redemptive history when he met Jesus. When, when, when you and I have, have God encounters, when there's a moment when God meets with us, it gives us a new revelation of Jesus. We saw it with, with Moses. When Moses met with the Lord at the burning bush, he had a revelation of the great I am. A revelation that had not been given to anyone else. Here, Isaiah meets with the Lord Jesus in the throne room and, and he has this incredible revelation. I saw the Lord. I saw the creatures singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty. He was overcome by the majesty, the splendor, the greatness, the holiness of God. Now, just the word that's often used, you may have heard it in Christian circles, is the word Shekinah glory. And that's what Isaiah saw here. He, the Shekinah glory is the sights, the sounds, the smells, and everything that goes around the presence of God. And that's what Isaiah saw. He saw the Shekinah glory. He saw all these things going on around the very person and the very presence of God. I wonder, have you ever had any kind of, of, of encounter, revelation with God where you've been so overcome by his presence, by his holiness, where you, in your frailty, have encountered the living God? There's something very instructive here about the six living creatures. These six creatures who are in the throne room worshipping. Look, look at what they are doing. It says two wings cover their face, two wings cover their feet, and they're worshipping. And covering their face, covering their feet, is because of the holiness of the Lord Jesus. And the other two wings, they fly. I think it's really interesting, the, the, the ratio here. Two-thirds worship. One third, service. If we want to encounter the living God, I think we need to make sure there is time to worship. There is time given to encounter and worship the living God. If we want fresh revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ, 
then we need to carve out time where we just gaze upon him, where we worship, where we wait, where we read scripture, where we meditate on scripture, where, where we meditate on the Lord so that we become more and more like him, so that we change from one degree of glory into another. So, so when we spend time in a divine encounter, when we meet with the Lord, we, we get fresh revelation of Jesus. But there's something else going on here. Because alongside fresh revelation of Jesus, there is revelation, fresh revelation of sin. Verse 5. Verse 5. And I, Isaiah says, Woe to me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. He, he has a revelation of Jesus. His eyes are open to who Jesus is, his glory, his majesty, his holiness. And in that context, he is aware of his sin. He is aware of his shame. He is aware that he has done wrong. And there's something, again, very interesting here that, that you see, Isaiah's strength is his greatest weakness. Now, Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, I'm not a Hebrew scholar, but, but the book of Isaiah by commentators is said to be one of the highest qualities of Hebrew writing in all of Scripture. In fact, Isaiah kind of can be held up as one of the best pieces of Hebrew literature in any form of writing. In other words, Isaiah has a way with words. He's a great writer. But, but look, what, what does he confess to? What does he confess? He says, I'm a man with unclean lips. Isn't it interesting? What's his job? He's a prophet. What do prophets do? They, they, they speak. They speak. And it seems like his, his, his strength is his weakness. Now, we don't know specifically, was it that, you know, he, bad language? Was it that he was lying? Was it that he was exaggerating or judgmental? Was that he misused his prophetic gift? We, we don't know. But we do know that it was to do with his mouth, his lips. And it appears that, that Isaiah's mouth and lips have been affected by sin, as have all the people of the nation around him. They, they carved into kind of compromising and, and not following the law. But this encounter with Jesus brings a fresh revelation of Isaiah's sin. I am lost. I am undone, some, some translations said. In the Hebrew, that means I am ruined. It's all over for me. So it means in the Hebrew, when he says, I'm lost, I'm undone, it's, I'm ruined, it's all over for me. Isn't it interesting? That's, that, that's Isaiah's response in the holiness of the Lord Jesus. And he has this fresh revelation of the glory of God. His first, the first impact is, oh man, I'm undone. Oh, I'm, 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 I'm done. It's all over for me. I'm ruined by my sinfulness. You see, in the presence of Jesus, we become conscious of our sin, our shame. It's all over for me. 
Isaiah, I am sure, thought he was going to die. But where sin abounds, grace abounds greater. So, so just look at what happens. Look at what happens, verse 6 to 7. Because it's absolutely beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. Then one of the seraphims flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. Now you have to understand that that coal would have been dripping with blood because on the altar, the altar was where sacrifices were made. So on the altar, there would have been blood and fire. So this angelic being brings a coal that is hot, that is on fire, and that is dripping with blood. And what does he do? He touches the lips of Isaiah. And the blood of the sacrifice and the fire of the Holy Spirit cleanses Isaiah's mouth. He is cleansed from sin in a moment. You say, well, what is this, Mark? This is the Old Testament. What is this? This is a revelation of the cross without Isaiah knowing. That's what it is. A revelation of what Jesus was to accomplish for every single person on Calvary 2,000 years ago. There is in what we've read, these verses, the Savior on the throne, the sacrifice on the altar, and the application of the blood. This is a revelation of the cross. See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. Hallelujah. Wow. That is a glimpse of the new covenant. To Isaiah, we have in the Old Testament, this little glimpse of what Jesus was to fulfill for every single one of us. The coal touched his lips. The power of the blood, the fire of the Holy Spirit, and he is cleansed. You see, divine encounters with the Lord Jesus. They, they open your eyes to his majesty and wonder and holiness and awe. They show you your sinfulness, but they show you the grace, the grace of God to wash away your sin. That you are cleansed and you are white as snow. And one other thing that is just truly wonderful. God takes the very thing that the enemy had been using for evil, his unclean lips. God cleanses and sanctifies the lips of Isaiah. And what is he then commissioned to do, as we'll see in a moment? To go to the people. To go and be a prophet to the people. Because his lips have been sanctified. His greatest strength stroke weakness was his mouth and his lips. A touch from Jesus. The cleansing work of the cross and his greatest weakness becomes the strength that he is to use to proclaim God's word to his people. When you give God your weakness, his strength is made perfect in your weakness. We've seen it in these divine encounters. Gideon, 
I'm the weakest of my clan. I'm this, I'm that. What does God speak over him? Mighty man of valor. What does Gideon do? He leaves 300 men to defeat the Midianites. Isaiah, foul mouth, unclean lips, divine encounter, prophet to the people, proclaiming truth, writing down incredible literature that tells us of the coming Messiah. Oh, church, oh, wouldn't that we have fresh revelation of Jesus? Fresh revelation of his glory and his majesty. Fresh revelation, yes, of our sin, but of his grace that would transform our weakness into a strength that God can use powerfully beyond our understanding. And finally, the final point I want to bring about this divine encounter in the throne room is that divine encounters are always to prepare us and to equip us to God. So you, you can't miss this. You get stuck in the throne room, the angels, the throne, the smoke, the living creatures. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty. Wonderful. But verse 8, it's all in preparation for the call, the call of God. Whom shall I send and who will go? Isaiah's response, verse 9, here am I, send me. Here am I, send me. Divine encounters are always to prepare us to go. Moses, divine encounter at the burning bush. Why? So he could go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. And he could take the Israelites out of Egypt and across through the Red Sea. Divine encounters. Again, I think it's important to say this. The tendency sometimes if you hear, oh, divine encounters, oh, that's a bit selfish. Oh, is that just about me and God? Oh, just, you know, wonderful times of the Lord, me and God. No, 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 no. It always is to have a purpose. It always is to change us and equip us for what God has for us, for redemptive purposes that he wants to do in us, yes, but always through us. As we've looked at each time, Acts 1 verse 8, what's the purpose of the Holy Spirit being poured out so that the gospel will go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth? The Holy Spirit is there because it's poured out for the salvation of the world. Again, Acts chapter 2, the, the Pentecost, the story of Pentecost. What's going on there? There's an upper room with 120 believers worshipping and praying. The sound of a mighty river rushing comes upon them. There are tongues of fire on their head. We're told there's this amazing divine encounter that these 120 believers have. But what happens? Do they stay in the upper room? Do they stay there, hold hands and just chill out? No. They are pushed out onto the streets. They go out onto the streets and into the market square of Jerusalem. And people hear the gospel in their own language. They proclaim the gospel. They preach the gospel. Because the Holy Spirit was poured out. 
The divine encounter that they had was beautiful, wonderful, but the purpose was to send them out onto the streets. Let me, let me, let me say something to you. If, if, if you're not prepared to do anything for God, don't expect a life-changing encounter. In other words, you get that life-changing encounter, you meet with the Lord. There's going to be an expectation that you do something with it. That you go out into the world, that you do something with what God has done in you and through you. That we should all resonate with Isaiah who says, here I am, Lord, send me. You know, God wants to change the world. I think sometimes we look at the world and think, oh, yeah, well, God's just going to hold on here until Jesus returns. No, no, no. God wants to change the world. He wants to see men and women come to faith. He wants justice. He, he wants the poor to be cared for. He, he wants children to be loved and cared for in the right way. He, he wants, wants the gospel to be proclaimed to the ends of the earth. God wants change. God wants the world to change. And we say, well, how's that going to happen? Looking around, not sure about that. How's it going to happen? Look at this motley crew. You know, how's that going to happen? How's God going to change the world with us, Lot? But remember, God turned the world upside down with 12 ordinary men, with 120 men and women from different backgrounds and nationalities in the power of the Holy Spirit. They transformed, they turned the world upside down. God can do that with you. God can do that with each and every one of us. We mustn't underestimate the power, the effect of a divine encounter with the Lord. One man, one woman, a Gideon, a Moses, Isaiah. And let me say this, it's not about replicating an experience that Isaiah had. It's not about replicating an experience that your friend had. It's not about replicating an experience from the Azusa Street Revival. It's not about, you know, replicating something that happened to X or Y of your friends. D.L. Moody, the American evangelist, said this, the world has yet to see what God can do with one man or one woman who's completely surrendered to him. When we have the God encounter, when we surrender to him, what can God do in you? What can God do through you? What could God do right now in each of your lives if you had an encounter with the living God? So let me sum up. And in a moment, we're going to worship and we're going to have communion. We're going to break bread together. We're going to remember the Lord's sacrifice for each and every one of us on that cross.